In episode 44 of the Guitar Music Theory podcast, I talk about what sus2 and sus4 chords are and how they are used in popular music. Greetings, guitar engineers. Welcome to the Guitar Music Theory Podcast. I am Desi Cerna. Today, we're going to talk about sus2 and sus4 chords. I'm going to explain what they are, how they're built, where they get their names, and how they are used in familiar songs. I also have some email questions and comments to discuss. But before we get started, I want to let you know that I have recently released a brand new video course on blues guitar. If you love blues guitar and you want to learn the fundamentals, check out the new course. I sent out a few emails about it recently with links to the uh, course sales page. If you didn't receive those emails, well, then you're not on my email list. So go to my website, guitarmusictheory.com, answer the questions I ask you about your playing, and get enrolled in a free course. Once you're enrolled, you'll also receive my emails so you won't miss any special announcements. You can also email me directly at desi at guitarmusictheory.com to request a link to the new blues course uh, sales page. That's desi, D-E-S-I, at guitarmusictheory.com. All right, let's get started with today's podcast episode. All right, so we're going to get started with some email uh, questions and comments. This first one says, I'm interested in your instructional courses, but I only have an acoustic guitar. Will I have trouble? Um, <clears throat> well, I, uh, you know, I teach stuff that is related to popular styles of guitar music, which includes both acoustic and electric. Uh, there is a lot of lesson material that kind of focuses on music that is played on electric, but that doesn't mean you can't follow along with an acoustic so if you have an acoustic, uh, you're ready to go. So, you know, learn and practice and get better and um, learn how to play it the best that you can. And you can absolutely make use of my um, instruction. And if all goes well, well, then down the road, maybe you can invest in an electric and uh, get even more use out of your acoustic guitar. But I wouldn't let just having one guitar hold you back from moving forward with uh, learning more about uh, music. All right, so uh, this next question comes from someone who described that he was having some issues with his cording. He couldn't get notes to uh, uh, ring clearly. And uh, he says he's got some electric guitars, but he also has a classic, classical guitar. The classical guitar has uh, a slightly wider uh, fretboard, and so it's not a, as big of a problem. And so he was thinking about selling his guitars, and he asked me if I had any suggestions about which type of electric guitar to get so he doesn't have any issues with uh, fingering uh, notes cleanly. Well, um, electric guitar fretboard widths are actually pretty standard. There's not really much difference between different makes and models. There's not much of a difference that it's going to be no uh, noticeable. Um, so I think that if you're trying to learn how to play electric guitar, you just have to learn how to cut your nails shorter, get your fingertips right up on the tips with certain types of cording, uh, like if you're using playing open position chords like, you know, C and, and G and that, that sort of thing. So I think more than going out and buying another guitar, I think you just need to work on your uh, uh, technique. 
if you're someone that just has really wide or fat fingers, and I have seen some guitar players like that, there may be certain things that you are just not able to do because your fingers are just too big. But what's interesting is that I've met people like this who still learn how to play well, and they learn how to take advantage of it uh, so they could play certain types of chord shapes where they could grab two strings with one finger, one fingertip, and do some things that I actually can't do with my skinny little fingers. So, um, you know, getting good at guitar involves learning how to play to your strengths and avoid your weaknesses. And, you know, every th there's advantages and disadvantages if you have small hands or big hands or long fingers or short fingers or skinny fingers or fat fingers. But this is kind of a, a pretty... A typical problem with people who are still in that beginning stage, even if they have, even if they don't have fat fingers, we all have problems, uh, you know, uh, staying away from neighboring strings and getting all of our uh, notes to, to ring clearly in our chords. That's pretty normal. And so, and that's probably the case uh, here with this question uh, with this person as well. So I would say just stick with it. And, uh, you know, if you really need some help, don't forget that I offer Skype lessons. Um, so we can connect one-on-one -on -one privately and do a Skype video lesson. Uh, if you're struggling with something, you know, sometimes one lesson is all it takes for you to just get all your questions answered and get some good instruction so that uh, you're on the right track and then you can take it, to, uh, take it from there. So uh, don't forget about that. <clears throat> you can email me, desi at guitarmusictheory.com, uh, or just go to my website and uh, you could probably find the um, link to the uh, Skype lessons calendar. Okay, um, next, someone asked, are, can, uh, can video lessons be as good as in-person pri private lessons? How do they compare? You know, I get this question every now and then. People are kind of skeptical. They're like, you know, well, I, I see that you have some instructional courses and you're talking about things that I want to learn, and, but I just, I'm hesitant to buy a video course. I, I don't know why you would be. I mean, we all learn from books and video courses and YouTube videos. There's no reason why. Uh, I mean, if it's if a course is well done, you can learn a lot. And uh, sometimes, you know, a good course can be better than an in private uh, in an in person private lesson because if you've taken lessons with someone in person, you know, sometimes you just sit down and the guitar instructor says, "Okay, what do you want to do today?" And you guys play through something, and then you know he sends you he or she sends you on your way. And then you're at home and you're like, okay, I'm at home. Let's see if I can remember what, you know, I played with my instructor in lesson. But when you have a course, you can have video that you can replay. And there's often, you know, uh, you know, tablature and, and backing tracks and other resources and stuff that you need all organized there, you know, online so that you, you have more of a structured plan that you can follow and your practice can be structured and you have something that you can use at home in your practice space. So, yeah, I mean, video lessons can be fantastic. I've learned a tremendous amount from video lessons myself over, over the years. In fact, I studied with instructors, too, and had some good instructors and learned a lot. But honestly, I learned I learned most of what I learned came from studying books and, and videos myself over the, over the years. So and in fact, uh, this next uh, comment that I wanted to uh, share comes from an email. And this customer says, I have learned more in a few months with your fretboard theory system than in 15 years before. And I get this a lot where people are like, you know, I've played guitar for years, but <clears throat> when I got your fretboard theory system, all of a sudden the light bulbs were going off in my head. I, underst 
I understood what I had been doing all along and how these songs were composed and making the connections. And uh, they sent me messages like this. So, you know, there's a testimony that tells you that, yes, absolutely, video lessons can work. Um, so give them a try. I have for a money-back guarantee on my courses anyway. So if they don't work for you, you can, re uh, you can return them. Uh, ask, just ask for a refund. Okay, so this next question comes from someone who uh, has a hand inju injury, and he uh, described to me that he was not able to wrap his thumb around the fretboard to play like the Jimi Hendrix-style wraparound bar chords, which I teach in some of my instruction. And so he was struggling with that, and he's like, what do I do? My thumb just won't do that because, uh, because of, uh, uh, I b believe it was because of an injury. So here's the deal. Um, it's not necessary to play wraparound bar chords. I do suggest, suggest that you learn them and try them, especially if you are into, you know, players like Jimi Hendrix and Steve Ray Vaughan and John Mayer and other, you know, uh, popular players, because that wraparound technique, um, it is popular and it is used by a lot of players and it does work well for their styles. You know, in some styles of music like classical, you know, they will slap your hand with a ruler if you bring that thumb around the, the back of the uh, fretboard, around the neck. Um, that's not considered to be proper technique. Uh, and maybe for that style, it's not. But for a lot of blues and rock playing, it's excellent technique. It works, it works very well. And there's things you can do with it that you just can't do without wrapping that thumb. But here's the deal. If you can't do it, it's not the end of the world. Not all guitar players uh, wrap their thumb around to fret notes. So there's still plenty that you can learn how to play and do. And, you know, just like some players play slide and some don't. Some players will use a whammy bar and, and build their style around that. Some people, like Eddie Van Halen uses a whammy bar. Slash never uses a whammy bar. There are many things you can do on the guitar, and you can explore your options and see what you like and see what you're good at. But you don't have to do everything. So if wrapping the thumb doesn't work for you and you've tried it and you've, you've practiced it and it's just not coming together, then don't worry about it. Move on and figure out what you can do and uh, uh, play to your strengths. This same person asked um, if I might be offering a course in the future that focuses on uh, worship guitar music as played in churches on, on Sunday. Uh, I don't have anything right now, but yes, I would like to do that uh, in the future. So make sure you're on my email list. And when I get around to that, I will keep you posted. All right, next question. Uh, this person says, I want to be an... Uh, an artist, I want to be an instrumental rock guitarist. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me read this again. If I want to be an artist, instrumental rock guitarist, does that still apply? That's actually what the sentence says. He says, I want to be, I want to be, oh boy. I want to be, I'm going to fill in some blanks here. I want to be able to apply this to music like Joe Saturani, Steve I, Paul Gilbert, and I was wondering what would the best approach to that be, yada, yada, yada. So what this person is, is saying is obviously he's been listening to my podcast and watching the videos and probably is an email subscriber. And I've been stressing, hey, man, you got to learn the fundamentals. you got to go out and learn how to play simple beginner songs and learn how to put your skills to use and follow music and stay in time and all that stuff. And he's saying, well, but I'm not – I think what he's getting at is I'm not entirely interested – 
and some of the songs that you recommend learning. I want, I'm interested in instrumental rock music like Satrani Vi and Paul Gilbert. So do I still need to learn songs? And the answer is yes, absolutely. You will never, ever get to the level of a Joe Satriani, Steve I, or Paul Gilbert who are uh, highly skilled players who are playing instrumental styles of music that features a lot of guitar soloing and a lot of guitar technique. You are, there is no shortcut to get there. You are not going to get there. It, you, you can't skip uh, simpler things and go and go straight to harder things. You got to start with the simple things. You got to learn how to play simple songs. You got to uh, develop all the necessary guitar technique and tra- you know rhythm guitar skills and transition into playing riffs and then some simple melodies and simple solos. And you got to work your way up to that level. And yeah, you got to learn songs. And when you get to that level, you're going to be learning instrumental songs. You that how else are you going to learn how to play? any type of song or any type of music apart from playing that type of music. So yes, absolutely learn songs, make sure that you don't try to skip over everything. This is something that really, uh, this is a big mistake. A lot of guitar players make, they set their sights on something so high. And then they think because they're interested in that, they don't need to bother with simpler things. So they'll say, well, I don't want to learn rhythm guitar skills. I want to be a guitar soloist. You know, I want to play guitar solos like Steve Ravon or Joe Bonamassa. So I don't even need to bother with, you know, uh, uh, rhythm guitar skills or playing songs. Yes, you do. You will never be able to play at a higher level if you can't play at a lower level. If you can't strum basic chords and play along with songs and keep in time with the music and and understand how to transition song session to song section and know what it means to play on the beat and off the beat and all this stuff and you don't have the skills to control you know unwanted string noise while you're moving around the neck playing power chords or whatever if you don't have any of these skills how do you expect yourself to play at a higher level so um, yeah there's my answer let's move on this next question is. Uh, what is the difference between a hollow body guitar and a semi-hollow body guitar? Well, a hollow body obviously is fully hollow um, or mostly hollow. And, you know, the big giant kind of old-fashioned jazz style guitars. And a semi-hollow is going to be uh, a, a little bit smaller body. And it's got some hollow um, uh, space in it, but it also has a block of wood. It's partially hollow. And... Uh, Hollow body guitars are typically played by jazz players and they're meant to have a good, clean acoustic sound and you would plug them in and you would just use a clean sound. They don't work well for rock music and you don't often hear them in rock music where you would use overdrive or distortion or anything like that. Um, It's just not the right tone and there's feedback issues and stuff that um, arise when you try to plug an amp like that into an, plug a guitar like that into an amp and turn it up uh, loudly and stuff and you know, back back in the old classic rock days, some people tried to use some hollow body guitars, but and they would often have to stuff things in the guitar to try to control feedback and that sort of thing. But anyway, the ho- the semi hollow came along and it kind of solved that problem. It's right in between a solid body and a hollow body. You could get a little bit of that hollow tone, and but you could still control feedback. And those are very popular, like a Gibson three thirty five style guitar. Uh, you know. B.B. Uh, King played guitars similar to that, and uh, you see those all over in, 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 in uh, rock music. You know, they got the big Mickey Mouse ears. And this person also asked, is there really a difference in tone? Absolutely, yeah. And he asked me to describe it. I, 
I don't know how to describe it. I think you just have to spend some time playing those guitars and uh, listening to the subtle difference in tone. Uh, but there, but there is a difference. I will say this: <clears throat> most of the electric guitar that you hear in blues and classic rock music, most of most of that is solid body guitars. It's like a Les Paul humbucker type guitar, or it's a Stratocaster single coil type guitar, or maybe a Telecaster single coil guitar, all solid body. So if you're into those styles of music, classic rock and blues, get a get a solid body guitar. That 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 should be your first choice. I don't even have a semi-hollow guitar. Wouldn't mind having one, but I wouldn't say that I actually need it. Um, it's, you know, it would be, if you're someone where all you want to do is learn how to s play and sound like B.B. King, okay, well then get a semi-hollow guitar because that's, um, uh, that's what he used. But don't get ahead of yourself. You're not going to be able to play like B.B. King until you learn some more f fundamental things. By the way, if you guys follow me um, on Facebook, Desi Cerna Guitar on Facebook, I recently shared a video that I saw, and it was like an old interview with B.B. King where he started playing songs from different guitar players that influenced him. So he was playing like some jazzy stuff and some other blue stuff, and I forget the specific songs and artists, but I loved it because he was clearly demonstrating that he learned about music and learned about guitar playing by listening to people that he admired and working out their parts. He was playing some things I had never heard him play before. I'm like, wow, that is so unlike B.B. King. But he was demonstrating like this is where he learned and this is where he got his inspiration and where he built a vocabulary and eventually turned it into his own um, style, which is exactly what I have been preaching uh, to all of my students. So many people want to go straight from uh, they want to go straight to doing something unique and creative and playing at a high level. And they don't realize that, okay, you know what I mean? Uh, there's a path you need to take to get there. And there are no, no shortcuts, even if you are BB uh, King. All right. On to today's topic. What are sus two and sus four chords? What does that mean? What do they sound like? How are they built? Where do they get their names? Um, and uh, what, where do we hear them in popular songs? So let's get started. So first of all, to understand what a sus2 or sus4 chord is, and by the way, they're all over popular music. That's why I'm discussing them here. You first need to understand basic chord construction. Chords are built from triads which consists of the intervals 1, 3, and 5. I get into this at length in my fretboard theory uh, video pro pack and my fretboard theory books, but kind of a little basic introduction to that if you're not familiar with it. We'll take the A major scale. So I've got the notes A, B, C sharp, D, E, F sharp, G sharp, A. And if I take the first note, the third note, and the fifth note, which are A, C-sharp, and E, uh, I can make an A major chord. Those intervals are 1, 3, 5. The C-sharp note, it's important here. It's a major third, and it defines the quality of this chord. It's an A major in part because of that note right there. So check this out. If I replace the third C sharp 
with the note that comes before it in the scale, the second B, then the triad becomes instead of one three five, one three five, it becomes one two five or A B E. This chord is called A sus two. It's called uh, A because it's an A chord. And sus is actually short for the word suspended. And suspended means that you are leaving the third out. Again, the third is an important note because it defines the quality of a chord. Is it major or minor? Well, here it is suspended. It's left out. And then the two indicates that you've added a second interval in, into the chord. And in this case, the second interval has actually replaced or suspended the third. So here's one, three, five. And here's one, two, five. This is one, three, five major. And this is one, two, five, which is sus two. So just listen to that for a minute. Um, sometimes the third would be replaced by a fourth. So instead of going down to from three to two, you would go up from three to four. So instead of one, three, five, it would be one, four, five. Here's one, three, five again. Here's one, four, five. These numbers are referring to intervals or scale tones. So if you stack a triad one, four, five, then you would call this, uh, and by the way, those notes would be A, D, E. So the regular major triad is A, C sharp, E. And if I raise that C sharp to D or the third to the fourth, it's A, D, E. And this triad would be called, and this chord would be called a sus four. So a or a suspended four. So it means that we are suspending the third, and there's, and what are we suspending it with? A fourth. So you can either suspend the third with a second or a fourth. You can take the third down to the second interval, or you can take it up to the fourth interval. Here's the triad again. Now I'll take the third down to the second. And then back. Now I'll take it up. So A major, A sus two, A major, A sus four, major, two, major, four. Now um, you might hear musicians simply say A sus. Um, and usually when they say that and there's no number that follows, they're usually implying a suspended four. Better double check, but uh, my experience has been that sometimes players would say, yeah, you know, playing A sus, and I'm going to be like, sus what? And they typically, if they, if they don't specify, they mean sus four. So, and you might be listening to this saying, well, yeah, I always thought an A, 
sus was a suspended, meaning you put a four in there. I didn't realize that it could be a two as well. So yeah, it, you can actually suspend the third with a fourth or a two. Um, so that's what that means. And you hear sus two and sus four chords used in popular music all the time. So here's one example that's actually in the key of A, since I'm playing an A chord here. See if you recognize this one. If you guessed Brass in Pocket by The Pretenders, you are correct. So uh, that st song is played in the key of A, and there's a lot of uh, stuff going on. Uh, there's some layers, layers of guitar, um, and some of the guitars are playing in different positions. But what you're hearing uh, is an A chord, and they're dropping the third to the second, and then they take it up to the fourth, and then they come back down to the third. that's a great example. That's a pretty popular song. If you're my age or close to my age, you've probably heard that song a lot. And uh, it's just a perfect example of that sound, the sus2 and the sus4 sound. Now, you can actually, um, anytime you replace a major chord's third with either a second or a fourth, you make a sus2 or a sus4 chord. So I started you here on A, but let's move to D for a second. I'm playing an open D chord. So a D is made from the notes uh, D, F sharp, and A. So the uh, F sharp is the third. There's the third F sharp. Think about playing a D in the open position. And then if you remove your finger from the first string and put an E in there, well, now I have a root, one. I have a second interval and a fifth. So this would be one, two, five is how I'm stacking this. So that would be a D sus2. We're suspending the third. F-sharp is out of the picture. It's been replaced by the second. Sounds like this. Extremely popular to play a D like this with an open first string. Here's uh, the regular major with the F-sharp on top. And then here's D with the open E on top. That's sus2. Major. Sus2. Major. And I can also take that F sharp on top and I could raise it a half step to the fourth and then I would have D sus four. And this is also uh, used, all, comes up all the time in popular styles of music. If you've, if you've played any amount of songs on guitar, you know that it's very common on an open D chord to play the first string open or to raise... Uh, or to play the first string at the third fret, play a D sus. So here's a regular D major, F sharp on top, and here's a D sus four with uh, a G on top. Regular D and D sus four. So very familiar sound and it doesn't take long once you understand what's happening here. And if you played a lot of songs, you really start to uh, uh, recognize this. Just earlier, as I was driving in my car, I had it on a pop, like a top 40 station. And I'm not as familiar with top 40 music as I am, like classic rock and stuff. There's a lot of new artists that I 
can't name and songs that I can't hear. And I don't know who I was listening to or what the song was called. But the first thing that uh, uh, I noticed is that, oh, they just they played a sus two and then they went to a sus four and they were doing something very similar to what I'm doing right here. And I thought, what a coincidence. I'm going to be talking about this today and here I'm hearing it in the music. And that's just from having the radio on my ear immediately picked up on that and recognized that because I understand the concept musically and because I've played it on the guitar so many times, it was easy, easy for me uh, to hear that in the music without even having any sheet music in front of me or a guitar in my hand or <clears throat> anything like that. So um, you actually hear the D sus two and D sus four used in the song summer of 69 by Brian Adams. Right? Sound familiar? I'm playing a D chord here. And I'm doing some picking and some arpeggiating, and I've got the third F sharp on top. Excuse me. I start with actually the second on top. And then the third. And then the fourth. I'm going backwards. I'm picking strings one, two, three. And I start with the open first string, the second E. Second fret, the third F sharp. Fourth fret, the fourth G. I'm sorry, this is the third fret, the fourth G. Whew, a lot to keep track of here. When you're trying to explain it, you know that if you pick up your guitar and play this, it's very simple. So that's making use of sus2 and sus4 on the D. And then guess what? It changes to an A chord, open position A chord, and you do the same thing. Now the... uh, um, the second interval for the A chord. The second is on the second string, but I'm picking this with the second, major third, fourth, third. So here it is on D. Then, whoops. I always want to start each chord with its third. I forget that it actually starts with the second. That's why I made a mistake there. So anyway, um, that's a great example of that sus2 and sus4 sound. By the way, let's talk about another aspect of sound here. I have this beautiful, clean, chorusy, reverb, delay sound that I'm using. And... Um, you know what? Let's talk about this. I'm using my Kemper Profiling Amplifier. I'm playing my Bluesman Vintage Guitars Sedan. It's basically a Stratocaster-style guitar. I've got the switch um, in position two, so you're hearing the bridge single coil and the middle single single coil. That's called the Strat uh, Quacky position. That's what guitar players call that. They call it Quacky. So check this out. I'm on the Kemper Profiling Amplifier, and I am using a profile of a, uh, what is this, Mesa, Mesa Boogie Mark V. Here is just the amp with no effects. Let me explain how this is built. Uh, 
how the effects are stacked on this. Um, I'm adding some compression, and this is set with a really low amount of compression, but they're almost, it's somebody else made this profile, by the way. I found it in the free rig exchange. If you have a, a Kemper, you know, you can log on to the free rig exchange and you can sh download files and share rigs with other users. So they have a, some compressor, uh, a compressor on here and they've got it set like a boost because here it is again without it. And then here it is with it. So it's adding some gain and it's just kind of compressing that signal a little bit and giving those notes a little bit more pop. Next, they added some reverb. Here's the reverb. Not a lot of reverb. Next, they have some delay. And this is actually a dual delay. There's an eighth note delay, and there's also a quarter note delay. So if the tempo of the song is one, two, three, four, you'd have a one and two. That's an eighth note delay, and a quarter note delay would be one, two, three, four. Hear that? So anyway. So it's making the guitar sound uh, bigger. It's giving it some more depth. And then finally, they added a chorus, and it's a pretty heavy chorus. Here's no chorus. Here's chorus. Hear that? No chorus. Chorus. And that's it. That completes this patch. And isn't that wonderful? So a clean sound, a little bit of compression, a little bit of reverb, a dual delay with some with an eighth note delay and a quarter note delay and some chorus. And if you're a Kemper user and you want to know which chorus is that, it's called Hyper Chorus. It's just a strong chorus. And it all comes together to make this beautiful clean sound, and which is uh, typical of how guitars were processed back in the 80s. We're playing some 80s songs here. Um, and, you know, typically... Um, players either had these sort of effects in their signal chain or oftentimes they plugged straight into amps and these sort of effects were added afterwards afterwards in post-production and it just made the guitar sound glorious and I wanted to just mention that because you will get more enjoyment out of playing guitar when you sound more like the music that you're trying to emulate and that uh, involves needing to know a little bit about effects. Um, nothing too crazy here. This is kind of basic stuff. Reverb delay, chorus, a little bit of compression. That's it. But isn't that a wonderful sound? All right, so... Let's do a little bit of review here and uh, maybe do a little bit of ear training. So let's start with, uh, let's go back to an A major chord. I'm going to play a triad, A, C sharp, E. Well, I shouldn't have told you that. All right, I already ruined our ear training. I was going to say, what is this? 
if you said, you know, one, three, five, but you could also say A, C sharp, E, but you know what? I got to be honest. I don't focus on notes as much as I do intervals. Um, when I hear something like this, I'm not, I'm not always entirely sure what the notes are, but I know what the intervals are. That's one, three, five. I'm not even going to tell you what that chord is. It doesn't matter. I want you to use your ear. Now, listen to this. Now, what if I do this? What was that? Here it is again. What is it? If you guessed one, three, five, one, four, five, you were right. I went from one, three, five. I put the fourth in there. What's this? Well, obviously it's the two because we didn't we didn't use the two. So there's the fourth. Back to the regular triad. Then there's the second. Let's switch keys, shall we? We shall. How about, mm, 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 let's do something totally different. Are you ready? What's this? Let's do that again. What is it? Uh, you just have to name the chord. You don't have to tell me, you know, is it sus4? Is it sus4? Is, is it sus2? Is it a triad? You don't need to tell me the notes. What is? If you said... Major to sus2, back to major, you're right. The third of the chord went down to the second and came back. How about this? Now I took the third up to the fourth and back. So you could play little games with yourself like that or go back and listen to this and just uh, um, get used to hearing it with your ear. And like I mentioned, it's not, it's not, I was actually playing a B flat chord there, right? So I was using uh, the notes uh, well, what, look, I have to figure this out because I'm not sure what they are. So it's uh, B flat, D, and F. Okay. Um, I was just looking at the chord shape on the fretboard, and I am an interval person. So when I listen to music and I hear this, I immediately know, you know, three, four, three. And then I want to figure out, well, but which chord exactly? And so I'll grab my guitar and go... Uh, there it is. It's B flat. Um, but really what my ear is recognizing initially is just the interval and the, the, the basic chord construction. Um, I've never really been a guy that can, that can tell you the exact pitches of what I hear. And my experience has been that I don't need to. If I can listen to a song and go, oh, that sounds like one, four, five. And oh, that sounded like a pentatonic riff. And sometimes I might have a general idea of what key it's in. Like, I don't know. It kind of sounds like maybe it might be an E. And then I pick up my guitar. Well, it was an F. 
Maybe I was kind of in, uh, I was close, but understanding the chord like progression and understanding intervals and just basic things like you know recognizing a scale or something like that that is far more useful. And typically, players that play by ear that's what they're hearing too, and that's what you should focus on. That's why I don't really uh, teach e- like traditional ear training where you try to name specific pitches. I don't really teach that, and I, I don't cover that sort of thing in fretboard theory. I focus more on the fretboard and understanding structure because that's what's really important. The people who do think in terms of pitches, those rare musicians where they hear something and they say to themselves, hmm, B flat, uh, D and F. Usually those are people that were just born with uh, an ear that works differently than the rest of us. And they, they hear pitches that way. They, that's just, they hear it. So they use that because that's what works for them, but that doesn't work for me. And that doesn't work for most, most players. So, um, train yourself to recognize that something like this is three, uh, three, two, three, four, three, or major sus two, major sus four major if you can recognize that then you can pick up your guitar and you know play chords on it where was that oh there it is that's what i recommend that you uh um, work on all right well i think i've said enough so you know there are many 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 songs that make use of sus two chords and sus four chords um if you have a lot of experience playing songs, you know that you've come across songs where you add um, a finger or remove a finger from a, from a particular chord. And often when you do that, it's because you are uh, going down to the two or up to the four. Players will do it in the open position with, you know, D chords and, and A chord shapes and that sort of thing. And sometimes you move around the guitar neck too. So instead of playing like an open position D, you might do a bar chord. So I'm not going to get into all the details of what that looks like all over the fretboard. That's something that you can get to know over time as you uh, start to encounter these chords in music and you just take some time to analyze them and figure out what you're doing. Oh, this is a major chord. Or, oh, I'm just dropping to the two or oh, I'm, I'm raising to the four. And of course, I talk about this uh, at length in my fretboard theory video series. So if you want to get into more of those details, uh, check out the instruction in, uh, it would be volume one. What would it be, Desi? You wrote, you wrote the course. I got to look it up. I'm pulling up my copy of the book here. So in fretboard theory, volume one, uh, chapter 10, you get into playing chords with added chord tones and extensions and that sort of thing. And so I talk about adding twos and fours and other numbers too. Like, well, what if you add a, a six or what if you add you know, a seventh or something uh, like that? So you can take a look at that. And if you uh, take a look at the video instruction, I go into even uh, more uh, depth. But now you at least understand what sus4 and sus2 mean. You can make sense of these chords when you encounter them uh, in the music you play.
right, well, podcast number 44 is a wrap. If you would like to learn more about music theory for guitar, go to my website, guitarmusictheory.com, answer the questions I ask you about your playing, and I'll send you free custom video instruction calibrated to your current level. Learn how you can progressively play and sound better today in as little as 33 minutes. Go to guitarmusictheory.com. You can actually click on a link to my website in the podcast episode show notes. All right, everybody, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and leave me some good comments and a good rating if you have not yet done that. Thanks for listening. I'm Desi Serna. Keep playing and stay tuned for more.